Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. So, this week I was meeting with a really good guy named Chaz Smith. Some of you know Chaz. Chaz is a, he's the uh, kind of the connection between the mission and the churches. <clears throat> he came to see me, brought me a cup of coffee and a, and a sausage McMuffin. I told Chaz, I said, you are trying to kill me. What is wrong with you? You know, I can drink the coffee, the sausage McMuffin I didn't need. But anyway, it was great to visit with him. He was telling me about a situation, <laughs> something that happened. He and Frank Baldwin, who was the head of the mission, and Chaz and, and a couple other pastors were going to a Cincinnati Reds game last fall. And they were headed down, uh, they headed down three, and they went to 74, and they, they were going towards Cincinnati. And he said, man, we're driving along, we're anticipating, we're going to go to the game, we're going to spend the day just having fun. And he said, we got down uh, about, I don't know, somewhere around uh, the state line, and he said, it just stopped. The traffic just boom stopped. And he goes, it was, it was construction going on there, but it just stopped. And we anticipated, ah, you know, we're really early. We'd left early. We'll have plenty of time. We may not be able to go out to eat first, but we'll get food at the stadium. It's not going to be a big deal. Three hours later, <laughs> three hours later, they realized we're not going to the game. <laughs> there was a wreck up front and it had uh, caused a spill and the they had to bring in all the environmental protection people and all the stuff, and they had to do all those things, and it just took forever to clean it up. He said, we went to the Skyline Chili there and ate lunch and came home, but, you know, the, they, they waited three hours. That's what I want you to hear, that they waited three hours waiting. Nothing, nothing good about waiting. It just seems so horrible. Now, I spoke about that last week. I talked about, first of all, God's pursuit of us. Uh, God does. He pursues us all the time. God is in constant pursuit of every one of us. God does not have strangers. He does not have people he doesn't know. He knows everybody that's on this earth. He cares about everybody that's on this earth, and he is pursuing you and me right now with all of his heart. And, and you know, I, I used the movie Taken last uh, week, and I talked about that, how in that movie that the, the father's daughter, his daughter was taken and kidnapped, and how he pursued him, uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, was uh, is the character and he chases him with all of his might and he tells him i'm going to find you and when i find you i will kill you and i said that's what that's what god's doing with satan he has promised him i will capture you i will kill you and he's already done it if you read revelation you go see it's a done deal he's already finished that job and he's in pursuit of me and you i, I spoke of waiting last week a little bit i talked about abraham or Abram at the time, called to go by God, called to go and become a, 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 his man. And, and he asked him to leave his country and to go in a place he knew nothing about. And so he went. He goes out and he, he, he gives himself. And he tells him, he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be uh, these people that, that, uh, that are going to bless the whole world. And he gets out there and here he is, two years, five years, 25 years into it, and there's no sun yet. He's sitting there waiting for 25 years. That's a long wait. That's a lot longer than three hours. And he's waiting. And uh, we talked about that last week, what that waiting does. See, sin has destroyed the creation. It's left us in a mess, and we're held captive, and we're held hopeless 
by that sin. And you may not realize that. A lot of people don't. They think, ah, it's not a big deal. See, the problem in our world right now, the problem with the men problem that we have in our community, the problems in our community, they're sin problems. Unless there's a spiritual change, a lot of the stuff's not ever going to change. You can't fix sin problems with physical changes. It, it, it takes a change of heart. And we're held captive and hopeless by sin. The whole of creation, in fact, is suffering the consequences of sin. It, it's just the way it is. And the Bible talks about that. And I'm going to read that scripture in just a little bit because it talks about that. See, uh, God's original plan. He had a plan for you and me. He had a plan for this world. God came and built this world on purpose. This is a very purposely, purposefully built world that we live in. If you don't believe that, all it takes, and I talked a little bit about this last week, all you got to do is look at how we spin, where we spin at in the universe, how close we are to the sun, how far away we are from the sun, how close we are to the moon, and how it all controls everything, and it spins perfectly and is perfectly suited for life. God did not do this accidentally. This was on purpose. He built this world on purpose. And he had a plan for this world. His original plan for this world was is that we would be uh, in fellowship with him, that we would continue to live in fellowship with him all the time, that, that every day we would get up and every day we would spend our day in fellowship with him, hearing him and, and listening to his voice and being guided by him and, and instructed and helped by him and, and living in that love, fellowship, and relationship back and forth. That's what it was created for. The world was actually created, I believe this with all my heart, that God created this world as a place for he, for him to come and live with his creation. This world was created for him to live in with us. This is his temple. You know, we, we, we see Abraham, and or actually Moses, and then, and then uh, Solomon builds a temple. Moses builds a, the tent of meetings and place for them to meet. And those are places for God to dwell in a little bitty place on earth with us because the world's imperfect and God can't dwell in imperfection. But when this was made, this was a perfect world. This was his temple. This was his place to come and be with us and where we would live with him and live in fellowship with him and live in worship of him all the time. That's what it was created for. It was created for intimacy. It was created for us to be intimate with him and to hear his voice. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it all became a mess and God began his pursuit of us. And he did it through a man named Abraham, Abram, Abraham, and Sarah. And they finally have a son. His name is Isaac. And he is born when Abraham is 100 years old, 25 years after God called him to go. He's 100 years old. I can't imagine having a child now. And I'm not 100 years old, though some people think that. It's not true. It was a long wait, 25 years. 25 years he lived in obedience and faith to God. 25 years he waited for the promise that I will make you a great nation and bless all people through you. In fact, to be honest with you, Abraham went to his grave seeing only a small part of that promise being fulfilled. He saw Isaac born, but he went to his grave not having seen the literally nation born or seeing how God was going to bless all nations through his offspring. He had to do that by faith. The Bible in Hebrews tells us that by faith he believed that. But he went to his grave without seeing it. Just knowing that a fraction of what he believed had come true so far. I don't know about you, but waiting feels like such a waste of time. It really does. 25 years Abraham waited. But the truth is, God is not constrained by time. 
He is not uh, held captive by it. You and I are. Uh, right now, I've got a few minutes, and after that, you're going to tell me that's enough, and you're going to leave if I don't quit. There's a constraint on my time. I know that uh, tomorrow morning, many of you have a certain time when you need to show up for work. People tell you that, and you need to be there. Our time is limited, and it is constrained. God's is not. God is not constrained by time. He has no constraint of time. For him, what will happen has already happened. The past is his. He knows it. The future is his. He understands it. He knows it. So he is not constrained by that. And we need to keep that in mind. God sees the beginning and the end. From the very beginning, he knew, he understood, and he has seen the end. It's already going on. We live in the past and the present at the same time through God. And God uses the weight that he has put us in to prepare us and to get us ready for the things that he has in mind for us. Let me explain a little bit about this using Abraham. If Abraham would have gone into the land of promise, if he would have done exactly what God called him to do and he would have gone out and he would have come here into the land of promise, gone into uh, the land of promise. And two years later, Isaac would have been born. I can promise you right now that Abraham would not have been ready to take him to Mount Moriah, to the place of sacrifice and to lay him on that altar. He would never have done that because he would never have been ready because he would have been like, but Isaac is my firstborn, but I haven't seen you. I don't trust you, God. What happens if he dies and there's not another son? There would have been all those excuses. But, but Abraham in the wait had been through so many things. If you look at Abraham's life, in the first couple things that happened, the first couple crises, he lied. He lied. You know why he lied? Because he didn't trust God. He didn't trust God. I mean, he did trust him enough to leave, but he didn't trust him enough to, to put his hands fully, his whole life completely in God's hands. And so he lied for the first couple of times. He goes through all kinds of stuff. God delivers him. God helps him. God saves him. God puts him in places. And then he starts trusting. Now he trusts him fully. And he goes to him and God says, I'm going to give you a son. And he, he says, oh, wow, I'm 100. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. And he trusts him. And he and Sarah have this baby and everything's good and then God says take him and put Isaac on the altar and kill him and you know what Abraham did it you know why he could do it because he trusted God because he had waited and in the waiting God had taught him he taught him how to trust him I know that where I'm at in my life right now I could never have been 20 years ago 25 years ago God has moved my heart he has moved my life he has changed me in that 25 years. He has shown me so many things. I have learned and I have waited upon him. And as I wait, he has grown me into the person that I am. And now he can use me in ways that he could never have used me for. God knows the wait and he knows it's necessary. Advent is the anticipation of the return of Jesus. We are anticipating not only was Jesus going to come, but he said, I will come again. And this is the time in between. And Advent is that time when we celebrate and remember and where we talk about the fact that Jesus is coming again. And it is also the story of our waiting. We're waiting. Now, I'm not sure exactly why we're being made to wait. I can't right now say, let me give you the five easy reasons there are for waiting. But I believe with all my heart that we're waiting because God has a plan and that he wants to bring the promise to us. 
In Genesis, we're showing the life of another part of God's plan to pursue and rescue mankind. And in Genesis chapter 37, there's a guy named Joseph. How many of you have ever read the story of Joseph? If you haven't, you maybe saw Joseph and the coat of Technicolor or whatever with Donny Osmond somewhere or something. You know, I mean, there's that story too, and it's kind of a, a play on that. But hopefully you've read the other part, the part that's real, uh, and it's not, a, it's not just a play. So, so let me give you a little bit about this story. The, the story goes that Joseph is born to uh, Jacob and, and to Rebekah, his wife, and she is his favorite, and she has not had a child, and she finally has a son with him, and it is his favorite son, born in his old age, and his favorite son. Joseph is a very important person to Jacob or Israel. And so he, he makes a coat of collar, and back then, collar was different than it is now. Collar is everywhere. Right now, I'm looking out here, and everybody's got on different collars. There's some bright collars and dark collars and whatever, different things. And, and so that's normal here. But in, in Jacob's day and in, in Joseph's day, collar was for rich people. Only the rich had collar. Everybody else wore kind of a gray. So, so he made a, co a coat for him, and he made it out of multiple colors. I don't know if they were stripes like this. Maybe he made it this way. Maybe it's just patches. We don't know. But it was a coat made out of collars. And he gave that to his favorite son. Now, Joseph, being a young man, was full of himself, and he had a dream. And in this dream, all of his sheaves of, of wheat, uh, the sheaf of wheat that he is, is standing here, and all of his brothers, and he had a whole bunch of brothers, there's 12 of them together, so 11 brothers, they're all bowing down to Joseph. Now, if you have that dream, you should shut up. You just keep it to yourself. There's no reason to talk about it, not, not around your other brothers especially when you're the youngest or the next to youngest. You just should be quiet, but he doesn't. He goes in and he says, hey guys, I had this dream last night. It's all breakfast. Everybody's eating together around the table. I had this great dream last night. What was the dream, Joseph? Oh man, well, there was this, all these wheat shocks. And, you know, we were all sitting around there and I, mine was up here and yours were around here and y'all bowed down to me. <laughs> and you know, older brother didn't think that was very funny. And they begin to laugh at him and they begin to make fun of him. And they begin to hate him because he got the coat and they didn't. They knew he was his dad's favorite and he, they weren't. And, you know, family relationships being what they are are difficult anyway. And all this is going on. And so finally his dad sends him out into the field to see how his brothers are doing because they all have to go out and be shepherds. And Joseph's sitting in the house. Again, that'll create problems right there. And so he goes out to see what his brothers are up to. When they find him coming, they take his coat, they put him in a pit, and they finally decide to sell him into slavery. Make it look like he died, tell his dad he died, and they sold him into slavery, and he's carried off into slavery, into Egypt. He is gone. That is a pretty cool set of brothers he's got there. Not cruel, 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 C-R-U-E-L, cruel set of brothers. He sold into slavery. He sold finally to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a leader. He was in leadership in the city there where Joseph goes. And he, he goes in and he's, he be, he, because he's a good-looking guy, because he's sharp, he puts him in leadership in his home. He's, he's working in this home and he's, he's taking care of the, the master's business. And he, he fears, this is my life. This is where I'm at for the rest of my life. And then Potiphar's wife decides she likes the way he looks and makes a pass at him. And you know, the whole story, it's ugly. And he doesn't do anything. He runs away, but she accuses him of rape. And so he's thrown into prison. So now he goes from being 
favorite son, sold into slavery, sold to Potiphar, life's looking pretty good, sold and now thrown into prison. Into prison in Egypt in that time, I'm pretty sure wasn't comfortable and nice like a lot of places are today. I don't know what was going on, but it was tough. He goes in there and he's in prison with the cupbearer to the king and, and one of the bakers and some other guys, and they're all in there, and they have dreams, and Joseph is able to interpret their dreams. And so he tells them different things. And so they're like, wow, you know, and, and, and the dreams come true. And so they're, he's telling them, like, once those dreams came true, he says, you're, you know, the, the cupbearer, you're going to be back with the king. When you are, get me out of prison. That's all I'm asking. And the guy completely forgets him. So Joseph stays in prison. And he waits. He waits in prison. Guys, I, I've never been in prison, but I don't want to wait in prison. That just doesn't sound like fun, but he's waiting in prison. And then finally there comes a day when, when the Pharaoh has this crazy dream and, and, and he doesn't know what to do with it. And his cupbearer says, I remember I've met a guy in prison who could interpret dreams. And so he brings him in and he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. And out of that, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing story. All those years of waiting, all those years of slavery, all those years of things that he couldn't control, all those things that seemed so crazy, all the years of waiting. Why? Why all the years of waiting? And, and I have to believe that Joseph had a lot of doubts during that time. There had to be days when he was in prison when he just went, you know, I don't think this is ever going to end. I think God has forgotten about me. But somewhere along the way, before he went into prison, before he was sold into slavery, his father had told him about God, told him about the sacrifice, told him about the call that Abraham had, his great-grandfather Abraham had had, and all those things. And so he was living in that. He was living in the belief that God was going to do what he said he would do. And he waited. But he had to have doubts. He had to have questions. What in the world am I supposed to be doing? What in the world is this all about? He waited. And ultimately, he remained faithful. He ultimately grew in his faith in that time. Ultimately, somehow through all that, God used that to grow his faith. I do know that during this time, God dealt with Joseph's ego this man who told his brothers, hey, look, everybody's going to bow down to me. His ego got dealt with. He was no longer walking around saying everybody's going to bow down to me. He was bowing down to everybody else. God has a way when we need to of dealing with our egos, putting us in places we need to be. I've been there. He taught Joseph management skills. Somewhere along the way, he helped him learn how to take care of things and put things together and organize and all the stuff. I don't know exactly how that happened, but he taught him great management skills. He taught him to trust him. In the midst of all this, he taught him, trust me. And in, in the trusting of me, he, he taught him to listen to him. And he could hear God say, this is what that dream means. Because no one else could hear it, but Joseph could. God was speaking to him. And somewhere along the way, he taught Joseph about grace. Because somewhere along the way, when Joseph was prime minister, his brothers came because there was a famine, and they came looking for food, and they came looking for help, and they walked into his place without knowing that it was him. And they saw him there, and it was Joseph, and they were like, uh-oh, there's the guy, and he's in charge, and we're dead. And they should have been. I mean, he had every right at that point to chop off heads and, and whatever else he needed to do, but he chose not to do that. Instead, he offered grace to his brothers, and he offered forgiveness. 
because God had taught him grace and forgiveness in that time. See, I believe that God is always using the waiting time, that time that we're waiting to refine us and to prepare us if, and here's the big one, if we will let him. The problem is most of us are being kind of like we're sitting in that waiting time going impatiently, well, I just don't want to be here. I want to go back where I was. I want to go back where it's comfortable. Remember when Egypt, uh, when the Israelites left Egypt, that story, they go out into the desert and they're out in the desert and it's kind of a waiting time and they're going, well, can't we just go back to Egypt? At least there they had food to eat. I mean, they'd been slaves and they wanted to go back to it. I can tell you right now that that's not unusual. People, when, when we're out in here and it gets a little tough and the waiting is happening, oftentimes we just want to go back to the way it was. Comfortable is, is the key. Comfortable is, is what calls our heart. But God uses waiting time to refine us and prepare us if we'll let him. He'll do the things in us that needs to be done. He's right now in the waiting that you're going through. He's, he's tweaking and working if you'll listen to it. If you'll listen to it. Or you can waste it. It's up to you. But he's preparing you if you'll let him. And he's using Joseph to ultimately rescue the promise he made to his great-grandfather Abraham. Ultimately, he will bring those sons of of Jacob into Egypt. And it will look bad because they'll become slaves eventually. But 400 years later, about 2 million of them will walk out of there. And God will have created a nation out of them. It's an incredible story. What seems horrible to us, God redeems. What's tough in our lives right now, God will redeem. I don't care if it's a disease that you're going through. I don't care if it's a marriage problem. I don't care if it's a kid problem. I don't care if it's a financial situation. If you will trust the Lord with it, if you will let him work in it, he will redeem it and he will use it to make something great happen every time. He always does. God is not a God of waste. He is not just accidentally letting you go through things. The Bible says that he has already put his stamp of approval on things that you are going through. That he already knows about it. And he has a plan, but you have to follow the plan. We have free will. We can, we can thwart God's plan for us. We can say no, or we can submit to it. And we can follow him. Our difficult and hard places, they're purifying to us. Man, sometimes you have to go through hard times to get things right in your heart. Because, man, I can tell you right now that many times my heart just hasn't been in the right place. I've gone into these tough times and I'm just upset, angry, frustrated, and wanting my own way. And my ego is all out there and all kinds of things. And God has used that to bring me into a place that he has for me. He has sanctified me through the difficult things that we go through. Absolutely. God is in the process of sanctifying you and me right now. He has sanctified us, and he is sanctifying us. Our hard times will either remake us into the image of God, or they will crush us. You get to choose on that right now. You can either go through the hard times and be remade into the image of God and become like him in every way so that he is blessing you and can bless the world through you. Because, I mean, yesterday when I saw all those people, my only thought was, you know, right now, if they'll let him, God could turn this around and use these people to do incredible things. I've seen it happen. You have too. Or they will do what most people do, and they'll let the hard times crush them. And I've seen that happen too. And so we wait today. And we don't know exactly why we wait. We don't know for sure how long 
the weight will be. But we know this. We know that God is faithful and that God is getting everything ready. Jesus promised us, if I go away, I will go away and prepare a place for you. We believe that today. As Christians, that's our hope. But I don't believe it's just for this church or just for a few people. I think it's for everyone that will accept Jesus Christ. God is getting everything ready. Our part is simply to say yes to him. Right now, you and I can sit here and say, well, let's figure out how to do that. And that's not our part. God's going to reveal himself to us and he's going to show us what to do and he's going to lead us. You and I have to simply say yes. You know, somebody, uh, people have said to me things like, I don't know how to do this. I'm just, I, I can't do that. And I understand that. And the answer is you don't have to. All you have to do is say yes, Lord. This week, God has really been after me because I'll be honest with you, a lot of things that are going on in the church, the transitions that are happening are just overwhelming to me. And God said, take Isaac and put him on the altar and leave him there. And I got to tell you, Isaac doesn't stay on the altar easy. He wiggles. Now, I have to tie him a little tighter. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here because he wants to get off. And my district superintendent this week, I was sharing some of that with him and he said, yeah, now you need to take the knife and kill him. I went, you know, it's one thing to put him on the altar, it's the other to lift the knife. And that's what God said to me this week. My part is simply to say yes to him, to trust him completely, and to not get discouraged and go, well, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. Oh, my goodness. I've got to be honest with you. Right now, what I'd really like to do, I'd really like to get all comfortable. Because this is a little uncomfortable to me. In fact, if I had my way, I'd quit being a pastor completely because it's uncomfortable to stand up here and talk to you because sometimes you don't look like you're all that happy about the things I'm saying. You look back at me kind of grouchy. And it's like, oh, I hope I'm not making him. But it's not get discouraged. That's one of the things. And the other is to never give up. Never, ever give up. Oh, I want to. I mean, you can ask Darcy how many times in the last couple weeks I've said, I'm just done. I'm going to quit. I'm going to, I'm going to go get a job, make some money. And I'm just going to, you know, whatever. And, and Darcy's like, but that's not what God's called you to. Don't ever give up. I can't give up. And in the meantime, my calling and my purpose, your calling, your purpose is not to just go out and do whatever makes me happy and whatever entertains me and makes me comfortable. Because if I do, I'll become, if I'm not careful, I'll become like people I watch who are on their cell phones and all they do is just do this all day long and they never participate in life. And if I'm not careful as a Christian, I will be a cell phone kind of Christian and I will just be on that and I'll never take time to really engage in the life that God's called me. To, I'll just be scrolling and entertaining myself because the waiting time has a purpose and God has a purpose for it and he wants to do something in my life my part is this to grow my part is to grow now you know you're sitting there going what are you talking about I'm going to explain in just a minute here I'm going to give you not not complete details but I'm going to give you an idea our part is to grow and and not to just grow but to grow to become like Jesus you to become like Jesus. Every one of you sitting here right now, you have no right to sit there and say, well, I'm comfortable. I got my ticket punched. I'm going to heaven. That is not why God saved you. He did not die on a cross so you can go to heaven. He died on a cross so you could become like him, so that you could become like him, so that he could render into relationship with you and participate in this world with you, and that you are being built, Peter says, one block on top of another 
into the temple of God, that we are being built back into the thing that God wanted us to be. Your job is to grow, to grow to become like Jesus. I was thinking about this, you know, the ten virgins. Remember that story? There's ten virgins, five of them are ready, and they've got their lamps all lit, and they're ready to go when the bridegroom returns and the other five don't. And I used to wonder, what in the world is that all about? You know, kind of like, that's kind of a weird story. But I think I, I think I got a little revelation on that this week, and I think what that's talking about is it's, it's about getting ready. It's about preparing our hearts and getting ready, becoming like Jesus so that when he returns, he finds people like himself, like we're ready then. Because if you're not like Jesus when he returns, you're not ready. I mean, you can be forgiven, and I'm not saying you're not going to go to heaven. Maybe you will. But I'm saying is, is that if you're not like Jesus, you're like the five who weren't ready. You don't have your wick trimmed, and you've run out of oil. He's calling us to repair that which is broken. Discipleship. Discipleship is not learning the scriptures and saying, well, I've got ten scriptures memorized, and I've got this memorized, and I can... I can do this over here and I got the books of the Bible down and I know all the, 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 the Beatitudes by heart. That, that is not discipleship. discipleship. Discipleship is to become more and more like Jesus. Not to know more and more about Jesus, but to become more and more like Jesus. There's such a difference. That's what we're supposed to be doing in this wait. To bring Jesus to everyone we meet. Yesterday when we went out, we did not go out as Al Holdren's lieutenants walking through the crowd distributing gifts. That was not the place for that. That's not what we were called to do. I felt like when I went out, I was called to go out in sandals and a robe to be Jesus. To walk among people who were hurting and let the presence of Jesus fall in those homes. I don't know if I did that very well. I know I didn't at first. I was, I was frustrated. Al made me drive clear to Spiceland. I was a little ticked off at him. It's like, dang, man, that's 70 miles round trip. What is wrong? And they still gave me 15 people to go see. And I was like, man, what's wrong with Al? You know? I mean, that's kind of how I felt yesterday. Sorry, Al. Just throwing you under the bus a little. A big bump as we go over you. But you know, God began to deal with my heart and my attitude. I began to see people. I stood in there and that little, beautiful little girl, no teeth. They'd all fallen out, I think, at one time. That was the craziest thing. A little girl, seven years old, man, most of her teeth were missing. She had glasses, long, stringy, blonde hair, cute as a bug's ear, man, and just funnier than anything. My name's Savannah. Oh, that's nice to meet you, Savannah. Yeah, my name's Savannah, like Lene Marie something. And when my mom's mad at me, it's Savannah, Lorraine, Marie. <laughs> She's telling us all this, and we're just laughing. I mean, just sitting laughing. She had a Harley-Davidson shirt on. I showed her, I said, oh, so do I. And I had my t-shirt, Harley-Davidson t-shirt, and so we related a little bit. She said, my daddy likes Harley-Davidson's, but he's in jail. And I didn't even hurt. I was like, wow. I just you know, you got to be Jesus. I mean, because these people just need you to be Jesus. I need you to be Jesus to me too. Some days I come in here and I'm all messed up and I don't know what to do. And, and some of you come up and you put your arm around me or you, you tell me that I'm your friend and you care and, and you do the things that Jesus does and you change my life. And sometimes 
you know, I need you to be Jesus, and I know they need me to be Jesus all the time, to bring Jesus to everyone we meet, to be Jesus to everyone I meet. So we wait, even after 2,000 years of waiting, we wait more, and we don't do it like, oh my goodness, we got to wait some more. We wait with great excitement and with incredible expectation because Jesus said, I will return, and I believe that he is returning, and that when he returns, we will be like him because we are being prepared as we wait to be more and more like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, says this. Just listen today. It's not going to be up there. I want you to listen. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently in the same way the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We like that last part. We always use that part. But it's not standalone. It goes with the rest of that. So the question is simply this for me today. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you like him? Or are you still need to be, are you still in the place where you need to be made into the process of being made into, the, you know, into being like Jesus? And my answer to that is, is yes to every one of you. You may be some like him, but you aren't fully there yet. I don't care if you're 80 990. I don't care if you're uh, 20, 10, 15. You're in the process of being made into a likeness of Jesus, and you need to be participating in that. That's why you're still here. He's still using this time to make you to be like Him. Another question is this Are you preparing? Are you getting ready? Are you getting ready to meet Jesus? Are you preparing for that day? Because it's coming. There is a day coming when you will meet him. And I'm not talking about so that you can say, I didn't do these nine things. Jesus isn't going to ask you about those things. He's going to ask you. He's going to look at you and say, are you like me? Do you love people? Do you love people enough to go out and make a difference? Are you willing to change the world that you live in? Are you living in faith? Are you living in the joy and the excitement and the anticipation of my return? See, a lot of us are afraid of meeting Christ. And we're kind of living in the dread. Oh my goodness, I hope the second coming doesn't come right now because, I mean, I'd be in trouble. The question isn't what haven't you, or what have you done? The question is what aren't you? Where have you not gotten ready? What in you isn't ready yet? Get ready. Trust him. Become a disciple. Are you letting God remake you into someone he can use? 
And even if you're caught up in a time of uncertain waiting, the promises are true. God is going to do what he said he will do. He is working in all things. Listen to this carefully. Don't, don't just say, oh, I know that scripture. Stop that right now. I don't care if you've memorized it. Just get it out of your mind right now. Listen to this. God is working in all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And the good is not that you're going to get a Cadillac for Christmas this year or a BMW or something. And the good is not that everything's going to work out financially in your life. The good is, is that God is working to prepare you for his coming. Because he is coming. And we can't wait. And we wait with anticipation and with great hope. Amen? Amen. Father, today, I thank you for that. I thank you for the love of Jesus. I thank you for hope. And I thank you, Lord, that you are moving and, and, and uh, preparing us. And Lord, it, it just occurs to me that maybe there's some folks that are saying, you know, I, I haven't really been getting ready. I haven't been living in that. Lord, today, before they leave here, I pray that their hearts will be turned to you and they'll begin to say, I need you, Lord. I want to become like Jesus. I want to get ready. I don't want to be like the five who got left behind because they didn't prepare. They didn't get ready. They haven't really done the things that needed to be done. They didn't grow into the person that you wanted them to be. Lord, I pray that you will give me more time to become like you so that I can be the Jesus that I need to be in Muncie. Lord, I pray that it won't just be at Christmas time that we say we're going to make a difference through things like secret families. I, I love that, Lord. Thank you for that whole ministry, Lord. And it's not, a, it's not a charity, it's a ministry. Lord, I thank you for that. But Lord, we need more. We need to be able to care 24 hours a day, seven days a week, around the clock, 365 and a half quarter days, whatever it is, a year, Lord, until you come, that we reach people and that we lead people to you and that we change a city because, Lord, you, we become like you. That's the only way it's going to work, Lord. So I pray that people's hearts will begin to be hungry for becoming like you so that when you come back, we look up and we go, ah, there he is. And we're like him. And we're going to be with him forever. Praise you, Jesus, right now. Praise you. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to stand up and greet someone. Tell them you're glad they're here. And uh, give them a hug. Lord bless you. Have a great, great, great week. And make sure that you mark down those things. Let's, let's be here and be involved. <laughs>